cannabinoids. So it's not only from cannabis or marijuana. It turns out that you find a lot of cannabinoids in food. I don't know if you can get high through food, but there's a lot of cannabinoids through food, which has medicinal qualities. Today, we'll discuss cannabinoids and its medical use with Dr. Joseph Forenstein. Dr. Joseph Forenstein is an assistant professor of clinical medicine at Columbia University and Quinnipiac School of Medicine. He serves as the director of integrative medicine at the Stanford Hospital in Connecticut and has seen over 45,000 patients with over 15 years experience using integrative medicine. Dr. Joe is a multiple award-winning and extensively published medical researcher in the field of botanicals, nutrition, and integrative medicine, and is a certified medical acupuncturist, clinical hypnosis, and homeopathic physician licensed in the state of Connecticut. His latest book, which we'll discuss, is The Cannabinoid Cookbook, which uses foods as a method of bringing cannabinoids into the body. So there's a few things I learned from the interview with Dr. Joe. One is the impact and the powerful effects of cannabinoids in the urological system, both in the bladder, penis, and as it relates to prostate cancer. The fact that you find cannabinoids in your body, so your body makes cannabinoids, and you find cannabinoids outside of, again, marijuana, which is the only place that I thought, uh, not recently, but in the past, and the different types of cannabinoids and its effects on health. So today we'll talk about cannabinoids and its effect on health and where you can find them. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Dr. Geo podcast. I am your host, Dr. Geo, where it is my intention to help you with tools and ideas on how you can improve your urological health and live better with age. Today is a special episode of the Dr. Geo podcast because I have a good friend, integrative doctor, Dr. Joseph Furestein, who wrote this great book, The Cannabinoid Cookbook along with Chef Daniel Green. So we're going to talk about all things cannabinoids as it relates to general health, urological function, and men's health. Joe, thanks for uh, being here with me today. Gio, my friend, my brother, it is an honor. My brother from a Jewish mother. That's, That's right. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. You should see what she's going to feed you. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Joe. Let's talk about cannabinoid. So a brief on my exposure and experience with cannabinoid. Very brief. It's zero. So growing up, cannabis, marijuana, for my parents, is that's as bad as any drug, right? This is the 80s and 90s. Don't do any drugs. In fact, if you do, you're a drug addict, you're a hoodlum nice. and all these kind of negative. Assaults. So not even through high school did I ever even smoke a joint. I'm not saying that proudly. Right. I'm saying that maybe I missed out on something now that we have all this information on cannabinoids. And so I have zero personal experience or exposure to it uh, at this point of the game. Who knows? I always said that if I have to, if I'm in chronic pain, I probably will smoke marijuana before I take opioids. So we can talk about all that right. as it relates to pain. Right. And even from a research perspective, patients ask me, Dr. Gio, cannabis and cannabinoids and prostate cancer, cannabinoids and semen health. And 
And I have only some research that I can support and say to patients, but at the end, I don't, I'm not sure that I'm giving them good enough information on it. So why don't you give us an overview on what are cannabinoids, where do we find them, and how it works in our body? So firstly, cannabis is a plant, which we're all aware of. The main one is cannabis sativa. There are different subtypes. There's a bit of an argument as to whether there are three different versions or one. So cannabis sativa, cannabis indica, and cannabis ruderalis. But that is essentially, and other people argue that it's all part of cannabis sativa. Anyway, so when we say cannabis, most of the time we're talking about the plant cannabis sativa. This is not new. This was in the Ebers papyrus from three and a half thousand years ago. So humans have been using this for thousands of years as a medicinal herb in the same way as the Ebers papyrus talked about the poppy and it talked about senna and it talked about all these things that the Egyptians were doing. And so, you know, because they realized that humans have an affinity to herbs and herbs can have effects on the body. So essentially the Cannabis sativa contains these compounds called cannabinoids. Last count, we were at about 140 of them. There are only two that most people are aware of. That is CBD and THC. My book and the book that I wrote with my co-chef does not have any recipes of CBD or THC. It's actually using food and spices to essentially do the same thing that you would do if you were smoking a joint or if you were using CBD. So it's literally stimulating the same system of the body, but doing it through foods and spices. And Joe, just to finish off, what is that system? The system is Literally, when I went to med school, when I graduated in 1997, so that's 25 years ago, this wasn't even a thing. There was no system called the endocannabinoid system. We knew the cardiovascular system and the pulmonary or the respiratory system, but not the endocannabinoid system. So over the last 50, 60 years, a lot of the research coming from Professor Mechulam in Israel, there's been a lot of research to show that The endocannabinoid system is a system in the brain and in the body, and it modulates a lot of the other systems of the body. And so its real purpose is it is the main system of the body to get you back into balance, meaning in medicine, homeostasis. So something happens, your body is pushed out, you're stressed, you hurt yourself, whatever it is. Your body needs to get back into balance. You need to get back into optimal functioning. And the thing that does that is the endocannabinoid system. And it's a real system. And in fact, we make our own natural cannabis in our bodies. So you don't even need to get high. The body does this itself because the system would obviously have its own substances that are stimulated. So we have our own, what we call in medicine, endogenous, meaning they're inside our body, cannabinoids. That's basically it. It's incredibly important. Joe, that means that we have, I try to really make things really simple for my audience. And I know that some of our audience members are doctors and healthcare practitioners, but I think I always appreciate simplicity. There's receptors throughout our bodies 
that yep. can connect with these cannabinoids. And it's like a lock and key where these cannabinoids fit very tightly to these receptors, and then it causes a response. My understanding, there's two receptors. Can you talk a little bit about that? Where are these receptors? Is it literally all around our bodies? My understanding is, of course, is even around our bladders and around even the corpus cavernosum, which is the muscle of the penis. And so can you talk a little bit about that? It's everywhere. There are two receptors. Again, to go back to the history, they were identified in the 1990s. And the first thing that ever happened was that they identified the natural compound. What is the active ingredient in cannabis? So we all know that cannabis makes you high. What actually makes you high? And so they isolated in the 1960s in Israel THC. That's the first thing they did. And then over time, they worked out that what does that work on? It's very nice that you've got this compound. We smoke it. What's it actually doing to your body? And then they found 20 years later in the 1980s, and then they started to isolate these two receptors. CB1 receptors are found predominantly in the brain, and they therefore have traditionally they're thought to have that chill out effect that makes you a little bit kind of chilled out when you sit there. And if you consume marijuana, as we say, right. you know, cannabis sativa that has THC. So if you have medicinal cannabis or you have recreational cannabis, I'm in Connecticut. So both are legal, both are legal in my state. Then what it's going to do, the thing that's going to chill you out is stimulate the CB1 receptors in the brain. What do they actually do? This is so important. They work on iron channels, just to get specific. So for things to happen in the brain, you've got all of these minerals like potassium and sodium and calcium, and they modulate, they regulate the nerve system, the nervous system. And this, these CB receptors, CB1 receptors, and by the way, there's an enormous amount of them. This is one of the mm. commonest receptors found in the entire brain. What they actually do is modulate all the other chemicals going on in your brain. So it actually has an effect on all the other neurotransmitters, all the other chemicals in the brain. So that's why it's so incredibly widespread because it's not just working on one specific system like depression and serotonin. This works on all the different neurotransmitters. Dopamine. You name it, every acetylcholine, you name it, any of these sin. So it's incredibly important. The CB2 receptors are found in the periphery and I, I mean, to, to be perfectly honest, when I tell you that it's the main system of the body to get you back into balance, to get you chill and back to best optimal functioning, it's important in fertility. It's important in heart health, liver health, sleep, memory, digestion, certainly sexual health. And we'll talk about some of the effects they have on prostate cancer. But I mean, this system is incredibly important. So what I like about the concept of the book is that you're using food to stimulate this system yeah. in the same way. You don't need to go to a dispensary and go and get medicine, right. marijuana or recreational marijuana. You can make it in your kitchen using foods that you can get anywhere. So if I'm eating enough chocolate, am I walking around high all day or is that not how it works? So I love that question. So clearly yeah, we're going to talk about how chocolate works and it's such an elegant way that it works on the body. It is one of the things that chocolate does. I mean, firstly, I'm a huge fan of dark chocolate. I don't mean milk chocolate. That's candy. I'm talking about dark right. chocolate, 75, 82, 85% cacao. And 
if you consume that regularly, you are stimulating the endocannabinoid system. You know, in due course, I'm sure we'll get to how it actually does that, because the neatest thing about the part that we like is that we're not just stimulating in one way. The point is all of these foods work on different parts of the system. So in the end, you're hitting it from multiple different directions. A cannabinoid rich diet where you're eating a lot of chocolate will promote and energize your endocannabinoid system. I don't think you're going to get so stoned as taking 10 milligrams of THC. I think that that's a little of an overstatement. But what you're trying to do is to get the system to be in optimal functioning through food and spices. Wonderful. Are there any other cannabinoids other than THC that has a THC-like effect that gets us to feel good for a prolonged period of time? Or for what we know now, THC is the most significant cannabinoid to cause us to be, let's just say, high. So the I'm sure there are, there's a lot of research on cannabinoids and there are 140 of them. So just to go into kind of more pharmacology, because my bachelor's was in pharmacology, a agonist is something that stimulates a receptor. So THC is a CB1. In other words, it stimulates the CB1 receptors and it's a CB1 agonist. There are certainly going to be other cannabinoids found that are going to have the same effect. And because it's a plant, as Geo, you're going to completely appreciate this, it's way more complicated than just cannabinoids. We've also got these terpenes, and they also affect the system, and they are complex aromatic compounds. So this is an incredibly beautiful, elegant, plant with multiple different things happening at the same time. I mean, drugs have nothing on things like this. You know, nature, I just think nature is perfect, right? I, it's Once you start manipulating nature a little too much, this goes with pretty much anything, right? Anything in isolation will cause a more powerful impact in one way or another, but also increases the likelihood of either addiction in this case, perhaps, but side effects that are unwanted. The coca leaf you use for you know thousands of years, once you isolate one alkaloid, cocaine, then That's that right. has a different impact. This is a similar situation, isn't it? A hundred percent. But I mean, look, I'm a Western trained doctor. I teach at Columbia. I'm certainly in the medical establishment, but I have to say that the pharmaceutical model, the pharma model of taking, looking at plants, because remember, as you well know, 40% of all drugs, pharmaceuticals are derived from the plant kingdom. And all they're doing is taking one ingredient. So there are 140 cannabinoids and all they've done is taken one or two. There are drugs, right. by the way, that are yeah. made of CBD and THC. So they've taken two of them, times it by 100 and give it to you. And that will work in an acute setting, which we all realize. But chronically, that's not how physiology, well, it wasn't how the plant worked. You just sat there and right. mucked around with the beauty of nature. So yeah, I have the same issue as you. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that we create our own natural cannabinoids. Can you talk a little bit about that? And how do we do that? Do we go for a run? And do how do we create our own cannabinoids? I love it. I love it. I'm getting more and more excited. So my endocannabinoid system is going to have to calm me down. <laughs> Are you creating it now as we speak? That's right. That's exactly oh, that's it. Great. So firstly, 
what are the two cannabinoids? You know, what are the two endogenous, meaning the cannabinoids we make ourselves? And just think about it. It has to be nature. This is Aristotle. Nature does nothing uselessly. If there's something like a receptor in our brain and in our body, if you have a lock, you must have a key because there's no lock yeah. without a key. That's just not how this goes. So what Excellent. was the key? And so they isolated, oh, now probably 30, 40 years ago, these two compounds. The first one is anandamide. It comes from the Sanskrit word for bliss. So people think of it as the bliss molecule, and it mm. stimulates the CB1 receptors in the brain, and it chills you out. And one of the foods that we have an entire chapter, each chapter of the book is a different food. And my co-writer is, you know, he's an international, literally international celebrity chef. He's been on a number of series on the Food Network. What I love about the way he does things is he's not just going to give you one food. He's going to give you a food and he's going to use as many cannabinoids together right. to augment the effect to increase the effect of this with it still tasting good i had one person said well can i just put all of these ingredients together and just drink that as a smoothie and i said i'm sure you can i don't know how enjoyable that will be why don't you have a chef make this palatable love it so the food are truffles truffle oil is pure anandamide so literally the stuff that we make in our body which is made from fatty acids, omega-6s, you can eat it if you have a diet with lots of truffle oil. It doesn't have to be truffle truffles because that's quite expensive. Joe, is that still exogenous? In other words, does that stimulate our own production of cannabinoids or... So I don't think that that happens. That I'm not aware of. I think the idea is that what you're doing is taking pure anandamide, pure bliss right. molecule, okay. consuming it, going into your gut, going up into your brain and stimulating the CB receptors in the same way as your own anandamide does. And then there's another endogenous meaning, make, we make it ourselves, and that's called 2-AG. And so we make these. And so let's stimulate the system to increase the effect. I, if I just make, Geo, I just, there's one thing about truffles that I just love. So, cause it's nature does nothing uselessly. And so let me just two seconds explain what's so cool about truffles. Truffles are full of anandamide. Truffles are found in Southern Europe by truffle pigs. And this has been since like Roman times. Okay. What is in it for the pig? Why are they, now we know, why are they sitting there? They'll dig four feet under the ground to find those truffles and you have to stop them from eating the truffles. Why? Because it's full of anandamide. That is pig marijuana. That's literally right. pig marijuana. Okay. Now, what's in it for the truffle? Because the truffle doesn't have an endocannabinoid system. The truffle wants to get spread all over southern France so it can go grow in the roots of oak trees. So the truffle contains spores. The spores go into the gut and they come out the back end in the stool 24 hours later. And the pig has now moved on to a different part of France. And now you have truffles all over southern France and you have pigs that are chilled. Pigs that are walking around high. That's that, right. I, <laughs> That's right. That's right. They're like very happy. In fact, actually, I read that they have to start using dogs now because the dogs don't get as wild as the pigs because they were just like, you know, these truffles, they have diamond and white truffles, etc. Some of them could be, you know, hundreds of dollars and the pigs just eating them all. <laughs> it's eating your stash. <laughs> so hearing your amazing book, The Cannabinoid Cookbook, 
you guys, you and your chef, Chef Daniel Green, highlight several foods that have cannabinoids. Are these the only foods that have cannabinoids or are these your favorites? No, these are our favorites and they're easiest to cook. You actually asked the question I want to answer, which was, you know, what else do we do to stimulate the endocannabinoid system? So I'll give you some easy ones. Exercise up regulates, meaning it increases the number of receptors, CB1, CB2 receptors, meaning the cannabinoid system, you get more receptors if you exercise. So just another plug for that. There are in cruciferous vegetables, which are important, they have actually natural cannabinoid-like compounds. It's just that, you know, we have to pick the interesting ones. Obviously, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, kale. You know, what's unbelievable is that I'm looking at all the foods that you have here that have cannabinoids, right? So cacao, rosemary, flax, cinnamon, turmeric, cloves, oregano, omega-3 foods, basil. Those are all, they all have anti-cancer properties and chemicals in them, including for prostate cancer. Unbelievable that you get all this kind of synergy and all these multiple effects from just eating, you know, one of my favorite smoothies. And you have a great smoothie in here for cacao that includes, uh, you know, fresh cacao powder and things like that, that I give patients for prostate cancer is cacao nibs with some almond butter, a little bit of honey. Actually, honey has anti-cancer properties as well. Probably doesn't have cannabinoids, but and it's pleasurable and has all these effects. And now I know that it has all these cannabinoid effects. So this is why I'm just, so when I go out for a run and I'm already feeling really good, and then I come home and I have one of these smoothies with cacao, I have not only an amazing moment, I have an amazing day. The whole day feels amazing. So it seems like there's a lingering effect. It's not just short term. It seems like it's kind of the feel good effect stays with you for a prolonged period of time. So, I mean, there's actually in the literature, in the medical literature, the the opposite of this is there is some evidence what's called clinical endocannabinoid deficiency, where the system is not working as it should. So it's the opposite of how you're feeling when you have a a cocoa nibs after you run, because you just got your endocannabinoid system right there. You know, you can't be wildly excited all day because you've got to be productive. You need something to calm you down and make you optimal, not chilled, optimal. And that's what the endocannabinoid system does. So love it. there seems to be some research that some of the more functional diseases like IBS, migraines, chronic fatigue, that there may be an actual problem with, I mean, they're complicated diseases and I don't want to reduce it to one problem because it's right. complex, but one mm-hmm. element may be a lack of stimulation of the endocannabinoid system. Lovely. So We have these receptors throughout the body, CB2 in the peripheral. Right. They're in the bladder. We know they're all over the urological system. They are definitely. And again, I get patients asking me all the time as it relates to urinary incontinence, urinary frequency, and all these things. Any research on cannabinoids as it relates to, let's just say, urinary problems, overactive bladder or neurogenic bladder? The research that I've seen is more to do with actually the expression of cannabinoid receptors and other elements of the cannabinoid system. I'm going to get to cacao and how that actually dark chocolate and how that actually stimulates the endocannabinoid system. But the prostate tissue contains cannabinoid receptors and it contains other elements. And one of them is an enzyme called FAAH, which in a second I'll explain. And the research, and this is research coming out of researchers from Madrid, Spain, are showing that 
cannabinoids have an anti-tumor effect literally on, you know, prostate cancer. In their publication, which was about 11 years ago, the thought was that this could be a therapeutic element for patients with prostate cancer because of the complexity of how the endocannabinoid system is related to prostate health, prostate homeostasis, again, keeping in balance. And I don't think prostate cancer is in any way balanced. I think it's out of balance. And so this may be a new therapeutic target. And that was uh, kind of the research. The thing I just wanted to tell you about that enzyme is very, very cool. How does chocolate work on the endocannabinoid system? Because it's not just stimulating receptors. It works in a different way. And the way it works is anandamide that we talked about, the bliss molecule, is broken right. down by the body through an enzyme called FAAH. That's the way it's broken okay. down. It turns out that chocolate has specific compounds that inhibit that breakdown and keep the anandamide levels high. So in your prostate, apart from having cannabinoid receptors, you also, they found you have this enzyme FAAH. If you want to stimulate your endocannabinoid system, eat dark chocolate, you're going to inhibit that enzyme. The anandamide levels in your prostate tissue will remain high and you'll be in balance. And hopefully that will have a therapeutic effect and maybe even anti-cancer effects. Wonderful. I love the way you said maybe even anti-cancer effects. So I don't know if you had the same experience in medical school. When I was in naturopathic medical school, the common theme was anecdotes are like, let me say this nicely, the area where you poop out of, everyone has one. Right. It was like that kind of thing. But I do hear not a lot of anecdotes of, you know, I took cannabis or cannabis oil or cannabinoids and it cured my prostate cancer. Now, I'm very careful with that information because, again, it's anecdotal. However, I'm paying attention. I'm saying, is it remotely possible? So then it, there's more questions. How was it diagnosed the first time? And how do we know that? The, is it from a biopsy or because that's an area. Right. So. Oftentimes, there's not a lot of good information on exactly that diagnosis and how it was, quote unquote, resolved. But it seems like it's there's a lot of correlation. I read a few studies with cannabinoids and prostate cancer, and it, and it seems like it's remotely possible. The other area, and I just want you to kind of expand on this briefly, is... What we're trying to do when we're fighting things like prostate cancer, get our bodies right, is to create a microenvironment that's actually hostile to cancer. Part of that is sleep. And so the more you sleep, the more restored you are and things like that. It does seem that there might be an indirect benefit, if not direct benefit, from cannabinoids and as it relates to helping people sleep better with THC or without. Can you expand on that? Am I way off here or is it is there something there? No, no, there's no question that the endocannabinoid system is involved in sleep-wake cycle. Again, it's involved in almost every system or function of the body, and it's not a surprise that you're going to see a relationship between that and prostate health because the receptors are there, because the enzymes that break down the anandamide are there, because cannabinoids have anti-inflammatory and more importantly, anti-cancer properties in test tubes. So none of this is a great wonder. So I think that from a sleep point of view, there's no question that the right amount of stimulation of the endocannabinoid system is going to calm you down and optimize sleep. You know, the problem, and I just want to be, I'm not anti-marijuana. I yeah. am actually a, quite a fan of using it in the right clinical setting. 
I'm a little hesitant about a lot of adolescents using it to excess. I think that that's the problem. But I think using it for pain or for anxiety or for, frankly, for sleep, I think we are onto some better ground. And that would be the same for CBD, frankly, which is another cannabinoid. You know, the research that I've seen mostly supports inflammation, pain, kind of anxiety and sleep issues. And that's predominantly where I would be using a cannabinoid. So you would say CBD without THC or in conjunction for sleep? No, I think that you could do both. To be honest with you, the main reason why we were using CBD a lot more than THC was because of more to do with legislation. Because, right. uh, you know, again, I'm in Connecticut. And so we have had the opportunity for medical marijuana and dispensaries for a number of years. And now we have the opportunity for, you know, recreational. But there was I've been a doctor, you know, in integrated medicine for 15 years. There was a whole lot of time where, frankly, you're not going to be able to get that in a legal fashion. And I'm not recommending that my patients do things that are illegal because that's not quite how I want to go. That's not how I fly, my brother. So (laughs) the point is, so CBD, which I don't think quite has the same effectiveness of THC, but still is a has an effect on the endocannabinoid system was the quickest way to get because it's basically it's the essential oil of hemp is essentially what it is. And it doesn't have any THC. That's how you define it. I was involved in a conference recently, an integrative oncology conference. And of course, I spoke on prostate cancer. There was a couple of talks on CBD, marijuana and cancer. And one of the takeaways is that it's still a little bit of the wild, wild west out there where, yeah, you can find it in some states and in some states it's legal for sure. But where you go and how do you know if it's good quality or not, it's still not that clear. So there's no legitimacy or no overview and organization uh, looking at these companies or stores to make sure that they have clean products, number one, safe products and products that are effective. Can you talk a little bit about that? It is the wild, wild west. We know, again, the book itself does not really address THC or CBD, we're using food rather than supplements or medical marijuana to give you a cannabinoid-rich diet. But yes, to your point, firstly, in terms of where's the best research on medical marijuana, I would say, and this is not just me, the National Institute of Health has kind of come and, and, and look at this, is probably with pain, especially nerve pain. That's You're onto yeah. good times there multiple sclerosis where you get spasticity. There's some good stuff there. Certainly, there's actually FDA-approved treatments using, you know, stimulating the endocannabinoid system for pediatric epilepsy. And then apropos to cancer is actually, and this I saw a lot in practice, a lot of people use it for nausea. Because when you're Excellent. getting chemotherapy right. and stuff, that's a pretty good one for nausea. i got to tell you, there's a whole lot of people use it for that. I think that that is the issue. And I think it's at the level of the state right now because the federal government, you know, has yet to opine and decide what they're going to do. So I'm in Connecticut. You just have to have a regulated dispensary. And the issue really is that there's a real complexity to this herb that you get different varieties and lots of them, different varieties of the same plant that have different 
characteristics, indica versus sativa. Do you want to stimulate? There's this delta-9, there's all the terpenes, there's a lot of other cannabigerol and cannabigerol, you know, there are different acids, there's loads of different other things. So the complexity of this makes it literally almost a specialty to itself. And most people just kind of tell you, take this much THC and this much CBD. But there is an elegance and over time, I think that we're going to get there and we're going to have much more clarity once we get more research on, okay, this is the best one for sleep. This is the best combination. This is the best one for nerve pain. This is the best one for nausea with chemotherapy. We'll get there. Excellent. It is still Wild West, which bothers me a little bit. So for now, we know, and as we come to an end to this amazing podcast interview with you, Dr. Forenstein, thank you so much. For now, we know that the biggest takeaway for me is you could get enough of these from food and you can get all the health benefits from food. Yes, uh, cannabis is available. Yes, it's used now for medicinal purposes legally, but you can get enough from food and maybe there's even anti-prostate cancer benefits from that and maybe even all urological benefits from that if we know, you know what foods to eat. Dr. Joseph Fernstein, where can people find you if they want to look you up? So the easiest way, thanks for asking, is to go to my website. It has about two to 300 videos. It's called the MD Minute. They are between two and three minutes long. They are all videos based on the most cutting edge research that I've read. So I'll just give you the one today. The one I did two days ago was literally a test that you can do that takes 10 seconds that will tell you your chance of dying in the next 10 years from anything, all cause mortality. There's a specific test you can do. It's a physical test for frailty <laughs> oh, or lack. I may not want to know the truth. But the point is, is this type of thing. And there's an enormous amount on cancer and on foods, etc. But everything is evidence-based. I'm, I'm an assistant professor at two hot medical schools and one of them is Ivy League. I absolutely am not going to do things that are don't have evidence to them. So there's so much in the literature that's worth doing. So if you go to my website, www. Dr. Feuerstein, that's F for Frank, E for Edward, U for Umbrella, E for Edward, R for Robert, S for Sugar, T for Tony, E for Edward, I for Igloo, N for Nancy.com. You can see the new book. You can certainly get that. You can also, more importantly, you can subscribe, you know, through the MailChimp thing, and then you'll be able to get these videos there's literally 300 of them. I, I don't think you Absolutely. want to watch me 300 times, but the point is that they're very interesting and they're now going to be in categories. So if it's cannabis, you can watch the videos on cannabis. If it's men's health and fertility, it's going to be research that you probably may not know about, not UGO, but your listeners about oh, that knows? specifically. All Love it. based, real, real stuff. Didn't make it up. Right? And the book is The Cannabinoid Cookbook, Joe, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I learned tons. Thank you so much, my friend. Keep doing well. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, let's do it again next time, uh, sometime in the future. You too. You too. You too. You're the best, man. All right, brother. Be well. for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Geo Espinoza ND. 
If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five-star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify, as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in a world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor-patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with.